Isn't this a great band? Joe, sure, you want this? Joe. Yeah. This is yours? For later. Okay. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, I'm Steve McConnell, and I am one of the pastors here at Church of the Palms, and it is my joy to be back with you. Um, we had, used to have a different schedule, and that meant I got to be with you every Sunday and, and uh, beginning your worship. And because of our schedule change a couple of years ago, I haven't had the chance to get in front of you. And that may be, for your sake, a good thing. So um, I'm glad that I can have the chance to be here with you today and uh, to rejoice with you and worship and to have the chance to uh, take a look a little bit at uh, God's Word. We are um, always uh, focused on the Word of God here at Church of the Palms and trying to figure out how it applies to our life and how we go about living our life in response to what God is doing in our midst and in, in and through the message we receive from His Word. Today we're going to take a look at uh, a letter that was written 20 centuries ago. Uh, there's not many letters that are still floating around that were written 20 centuries ago that we still have, but we have one such letter. We actually have seven letters that were written to the early church in the first century, just after Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascended, the church began to form, and in particular, formed in the, what's now called the, the western part of Turkey, uh, was called back then Asia Minor. Seven churches formed there, little churches, probably not much bigger than what we have assembled here, and they assembled in very different ways. But uh, the Apostle John wrote seven letters uh, and uh, incorporated in his letters the voice of Jesus, the words of Jesus, to uh, these particular little churches that were struggling to kind of stay alive because that was the first century. It was the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire wanted more than anything else is to sort of squelch the, the beginning of the early church. And so these little churches were doing the best they could to survive. And so these letters are written to the churches to both encourage them and also to critique them on how well they were living out their life together. And this little letter that we're going to take a look at today is from Revelation chapter 3, right at the end of the Bible. And we're taking a look at this letter to the church in Philadelphia. It may be hard to believe, but there was actually a Philadelphia before there was a Philadelphia. Um, and uh, who can tell me what Philadelphia means? I'll tell you, what a smart crowd. Brotherly love. I used to live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We used to call it the city of brotherly shove. So it's, but the city of brotherly love is a way to re be remindful of the fact that the early church began uh, in a town called Philadelphia as well as some other towns. And uh, get my act together here. Um, there we go. What we got going here, Mike? There we go. Get me back to my scripture, okay? Um, so we're looking at the early church and this letter to the Church of Philadelphia, and what we hear in this letter is not critique. This is the only letter that Jesus that Jesus gave to the early church that didn't have a letter of that didn't have a message of critique. It only had a message of encouragement and praise for this church in Philadelphia. So let's read uh, this great letter that comes to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter three. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. 
I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I guess I get the turn in now, right? Whoops. What am I doing here? All right. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying, and I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. And because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and you will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear to hear listen to what the church, to what Christ is saying, the Spirit is saying to the churches. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that as we hear these words to the early church, the first century church, that those first congregations that were forming and seeking to live out the gospel, that we may hear this word again to us today, 20 centuries later, and to wonder how we might live as the church as we seek to be your faithful people, as we seek to live in a world and to bring your light into the world. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I feel like I am one of the most fortunate people in the world. And the reason I feel like I'm one of the most fortunate people in the world is that I've had the fortune of living my life entirely within the body of Christ. I've lived my entire life within the body of the church since before I was born. And the reason I was embedded in the church all my life is due in part to the fact that my great-grandfather was a Presbyterian minister, my grandfather was a Presbyterian minister, my father and his twin brother were Presbyterian ministers, and my two older brothers are Presbyterian ministers. Talk about a dysfunctional family. So, a lot of people think that I didn't have a choice to become a Presbyterian pastor, but that was already sort of etched into my life. But the truth is, I did. In fact, I went to school to be a lawyer. But the reason I became a pastor is not because it was the family business. It was because of the church that I grew up in. It was an amazing church. That's the church that I grew up in, Lakeshore Presbyterian Church on the east side of Detroit, St. Clair Shores. It's the kind of church that gathered every Sunday like we gather every Sunday, but it's the kind of church that made me feel the love of Christ. It's the church that made me discover that Christ's love was real for me. It's a church that had an incredible youth group, a church that hosted 300 high school kids every week for concerts. It's a church that stood up to racial injustice. It's a church that got to, I got to see my father be arrested for his nonviolent protest for civil rights. It's a church that did work in the inner city of Detroit. It's a church that stood up to racism in our town and welcomed our first person of color that moved into our town. It's a church that 12 of us came out of in my youth group to go into full-time ministry and mission work. It's a church that inspired our, me to go travel to New York City and walk down Broadway Avenue in protest of nuclear arms. It's a church that sent me to Washington, D.C. to work with the vulnerable aged. It was an amazing place because it was filled with amazing people, but more importantly, it was filled with the love of God, not just for me, but a love of God, the love of God that I knew was sending me into the world. 
It was the church that understood that we came to church to experience the love of God, but then we were also sent by that same love into the world. It's a lot of what the church, Philadelphia church, was praised, praised for by Jesus. Jesus could see that the church of brotherly love was just that, that they were gathered up by love and that they were sent out by that same love. Jesus says to the Philadelphians, look, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. And this open door was a door open for people to come, first of all, to encounter the love of God, and then secondly, a door open for them then to go into the world, into their neighborhood, into their town, and into the world to share that same love that they had received within the church. In fact, it was a revolving door kind of church, a door through which to come and experience the love of God, and then a door, the same door out of which to be sent. In fact, that is one of the marks of a healthy church. A healthy church has a revolving door. As many people are coming in, should be at the same time going out. We come to church to be gathered up into the love of God. We experience that love of God with each other, but then there's this commission always to go out the same door. In fact, the less people go out, the less people come in. That's the way the door works. If a revolving door gets jammed going out, it means it gets jammed coming in. Both have to be working in order for the church to continue to be healthy. It's one of the reasons, perhaps the biggest reason, why I was thrilled to sense the call of God eight years ago to come here to Church of the Palms. Church of the Palms allowed me the opportunity to come and experience the revolving door sense of what the church is all about. That has been the case ever since the beginning of its history. How old is Church of the Palms? Can anybody tell me? Aha, stumped you. Well, just take how old I am and add a year. So it's 83, no, it's, um, it's 59 years old. This church is 59 years old. And it was begun as a mission church. It was begun for people who were not yet going to church. It's been in the DNA of Church of the Palms since the very beginning to be about the people who don't yet know about the love of God. Always this church has been turning outward, moving outward through the revolving door to welcome more and more people through that same door to experience the love and grace of God. 55 years ago, we opened what I believe was the first child care preschool in Sarasota trying to address the needs of families back then. It was called the Early Childhood Center. It's still going very strong today. 150 children and families coming through our revolving door every day. Since then, Church of the Palms has been called to open a Christian counseling center, Samaritan counseling that sees hundreds of people coming through our doors every day. We began a tutoring ministry through which over 200 people are going out the revolving door and sitting with kids who are struggling with school and helping them to sense the love of God is for them. We opened a food pantry where Church of the Palms folks hand out bags of groceries every 10 minutes. A bag of groceries leaves this place every 10 minutes, five days a week, to those who are hungry. About 10 years ago, in concert with some other churches in town, we began a new church up in Lakewood Ranch, Peace Presbyterian. This month, as we all know, through the great leadership of Dottie Tile and her team, our Day of Hope will come to minister to 265 children and their families, homeless or nearly homeless families, preparing them for the upcoming school year. Our students this summer will be going to mission trips across the country, to Florida, to Georgia, to Nicaragua. Our middle schoolers just came back. 
We will travel to Honduras, as we do every year, to be about the work with children and to work with the eye clinic uh, that was started by our very own Doug and Maxine Perry. With Family Promise, we open our Sunday school rooms to homeless families once a quarter. The list goes on and on. On top of that, we add $200,000 of giving through our revolving door to partners throughout the world in places like Iraq, Turkey, and Bangladesh. It is no accident that our mission statement is to love God and to love neighbor. And you can't do one without the other. That is what the revolving door is all about. We can't love our neighbor without loving God first. We can't love our neighbor fully without loving God first. And we can't say we love God unless we are prepared to love our neighbor. The truth is, that's what the garden has always been about. 17 years ago, Chris Curvin through the leaders and the leadership of the Church of the Palms began to imagine what we might need to do to open our doors to people who may not discover what God is all about, feeling anywhere comfortable in the sanctuary. So we opened up the garden, another form of worship, to allow other people to come and experience the love of God for His people, and then, of course, to be sent into the world through this revolving door. It is most certainly what led us to our dear friend Joe and to create a partnership with Nightlife and to open this revolving door again to a whole other part of our community. Yeah, give a shout out for Joe. Yeah, yeah, baby. You set that up? Okay. I just, just. Uh, but this has been a great partnership with Joe to, and with the kids and families of Nightlife and to have the opportunity to open up the body of Christ to include more and more people in, onto our campus and to have the chance to invite them as well, all of you, into mission uh, serving right here on our campus. Now, I am not here to compare Church of the Palms to the church in Philadelphia. I know that we have a long ways to go as we seek to love God and love our neighbor. And I know that Jesus would have probably all sorts of critique for this church because that's what we are all about. We're sort of a broken institution. We do the best we can, but we all know we have further to go. And whatever I've listed here is not a feather in our cap. It is only to say that we have to always focus on how does it mean for us to be the revolving door? How does the church continue to bring people in so that we can send people out? And it's also why we have wondered from time to time why God, maybe that God might nudge us again to form another worshiping community somewhere in the greater Sarasota area. From time to time, leadership here in the garden has wondered about its mission to reach and welcome people who wouldn't normally walk onto our campus and had wondered maybe there would come a time where our new worshiping community would form in another part of Sarasota that we could birth and give a chance for another opportunity for people to come and experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And so, wouldn't you know that a couple months ago, Joe and I had the chance to sit down and talk along with Lori, and we began to see that maybe there was a merging of a vision with a passion, and for it has been a growing passion in our dear brother's heart, Joe, to plant a new church. Yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah. And it is exciting to begin to wonder how we can partner in doing that. So Joe and I have been talking about what it might mean for us to, along with his passion and vision, to birth a church and for Church of the Palms to support that, to open another door in our community. And so, 
it has uh, actually kind of caught fire, and we are excited as leadership in the church to be able to say that not only do we want to bless this new ministry, but we want to endorse it and we want to underwrite it for the next several months. And I'm going to let Joe in a moment explain all that to you and what that means. But I want to suggest also tell you that this doesn't mean the garden is going to go anywhere. The garden is going to stay here. And we're going to continue to worship, and we're going to continue to grow. We will worship here every Sunday like we have always done. And some of you, as you hear this, may feel led to go with Joe into this new venture, and we want to be able to commission you to do that because that would be a good thing. Some of you have already signed on to that. Some of you might want to go and explore this new church and see what it's all about and maybe come back. Some of you will need time to discern whether you're going to stay or leave, sort of like Brexit. Others of you will... Others of you will feel a call to just remain here and help us to live more and more into our mission and vision as we seek to grow in our ministry in the garden. The good news is Lori Haas, who's away this week, is very excited about leading the garden forward. Lori will take on a primary teaching role and leadership role here in the garden, and she will be working with the garden leadership team to craft yet a new vision for the way forward. How do we continue to be this revolving door? We all know what an amazing and passionate leader and Christ follower Lori is, so the garden will be in good hands with the garden leadership team and Lori Haas. So I'm going to invite Joe to come up uh, with his iPad and tell you a little bit about what this new worshiping community is all about. All right, so listen. This is not an iPad. Don't ever, ever... Don't ever associate me with iPads or anything Apple ever again. It's one of the reasons I'm leaving. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... <laughs> On a serious note, let me tell you a quick story. Eight years ago, I was a wounded pastor along with my wife and my son. We were personally grieving. Professionally, I was reeling. My confidence had been shaken. I was unsure of my calling, and frankly, I had fallen out of love with the church as an institution. That's not a good place for a pastor to be, is it? But then God began a path of healing. First of all, he began to use students and staff and team at the Nightlife Center to reaffirm, yes, you're called to ministry, and there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. You have to do it. That went on for a couple of years. Then I met an amazing man named Bruce Hedgepeth. And he had this ridiculous, foolish, silly idea that I should be a part of a big conventional church staff again. And I was really skeptical. I said, all right, here are my list of demands. (laughs) And Bruce and the elders at Church of the Palms and Steve graciously said, we're going to work with you because we feel like God is doing this. And you know what began to happen? As I began to preach here each week for the last, can you believe, four years, it's amazing. The garden has been like ministry rehab for me. Like a healing salve. And God has used you to restore my love of church. Because I hated it for a while. So that's the story that leads us here today. So bring up that slide if you would. I had you guys prepare. So... In the wake of healing that many of you have been so instrumental in, God has given me a new calling. First of all, God gave me a great team at the Nightlife Center. And as of last week, this is, this is exciting. As of last week, 
I began to turn over the day-to-day operations of that ministry to my team I've been with some for eight years. I'll still be around, so, you know, I won't be running it, though, the day-to-day. And I was able to turn that over to them with great confidence because they've been working side-by-side with me for a long time, and I know they're faithful. And then what's happened is God has started to put in my heart, about six months ago this began to happen, a desire to start a new church birthed out of many places. Nightlife is one and the garden certainly is another. So you see the slide, Grace Life of Sarasota. Once you understand, with me it's going to be a very conventional, traditional church, nothing new, nothing strange. (laughs) It's going to be a different type of church. I know that's shocking to hear. But the name is not really a name. It's a lifestyle that we want to live in front of those that most churches may not be able to reach. A lifestyle that says, hey, the grace that I was freely given, the grace that I was given without any strings attached, I have a responsibility to extend it to you. Our hope is that it'll be a church that won't have ownership of buildings, no full-time pastoral staff, And the hope is that within three years that 70% of our tithes and offerings and money would go to local missions and benevolence and outreach. In a phrase, some of you guys know my phrase, it's going to be old school theology, but with very unconventional ministry. So with that being said, let me give you a little bit of the idea of the timeline of what's going to happen. For the next three months, so it's not like this is not the last day I'm with you guys, but for the next three months I'll be collaborating with Lori and Steve here in the garden, sometimes helping with worship, sometimes preaching or whatever is needed to make transition smooth. My last Sunday will actually be September 18th. We will begin to meet with our new Grace Life Corps on Sundays in September around 1030 at the Nightlife Center for formative meetings and planning and things like that. And then the last two Sundays in September, we'll have a little practice run at our location, which will be at the Devon on Tamiami Trail. It used to be the old Sam Seltzer building just south of Stickney Point on US 41. And so that's kind of the idea of the timeline and the plan. Now, some of you may feel led to be a part of this new missional endeavor. And I just want you to know that those of you that feel like God might call you to be a part of it, it's so humbling. And it's exciting. But it's also very encouraging because it's not something that could be done with 10 or 20 people. We're going to need a group. <laughs> Now, some of you will feel led to stay here and be a part of the garden and just know that whatever happens at Grace Life, any fruit that we have, any impact of lives, anything that takes place like that, the garden will always have a, a part of the responsibility for that fruit. Always. Because in many sense, in many ways, the garden has been unknowingly to us until recently. It's been an incubator for this. I didn't come in thinking about it. The last thing I ever wanted to do was start a church. And while Grace Life may not be a ministry that's going to be under the umbrella of Church of the Palms, like, you know, part of, I can promise you this, for years to come it will be holding hands with Church of the Palms and the Garden, working together in many ways to be an example to our city about how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. Not by division, but by multiplication. And that goes to the leadership here at Church of the Palms, being willing to do that. 
Maybe we work together on Day of Hope or BBS, Family Promise, whatever. I feel that there's going to be a hand-holding there. Lastly, I want to thank Steve for being a forward-thinking leader. I could have never imagined this type of partnership ever taking place. Because, you know, churches like to fire me. <laughs> it occurred to me this morning as I was putting all this together, this is the first church that I will have planned on, you know, departing from that I wasn't asked to leave quickly. <laughs> And I was, had lunch with Steve a few weeks ago. I said, Steve, you know, you're the first lead pastor I never had a conflict with. He says, well, we better quit while we're ahead. <laughs> you remember that? That was good. But Grace Life over the last few months has become part of my heart, part of my soul. And it could not have happened without the love that we have received from this beautiful congregation. So we'll be around for a few more months. But I ask that you pray for us. And I just want to thank God for the opportunity to be a part of this tremendous family.